We will read verse 30 and verse 31. This tells us why the book of John, the gospel of John was written. The conclusion. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now this was the purpose of the Gospel of John being written. There are several books in the Bible in which uh, you are not left guessing. They, they, the books outright tell you why they were written. It appears that uh, the book of John was written to uh, clarify a question that had no doubt arisen about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John could perhaps be the last New Testament book to be written. Most people date the Gospel of John about 96 A.D. Maybe written shortly after John wrote the book of Revelation. So <clears throat> a question, no doubt, had risen already concerning the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why that John constantly talks about the deity of the Lord. Now we're going to talk about the name of Jesus and the importance of the name, by no means in the allotted time tonight will we be able to cover this. We'll not be able to cover it. But uh, here at our Christmas season, there are so many staten, statements that have been made relative to the Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose of his coming and who he was. Uh, the theme that we have here in our church are the various uh, signs that we have here uh, that we use as a particular theme for each quarter two or three years ago, and we've left them up. Uh, th these started out, uh, at least in my mind, uh, around Christmas time because I picked up a card, a box of Christmas cards at Zonovan Bookstore, and this was what was on it. God became man. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. If somehow the world could understand that statement, it would certainly clear up a lot of clouded thinking relative to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we are oneness people. By that I mean we believe in one God. Uh, there are not too many oneness churches in the city of Madison. There is something that makes us distinctively different from most of the churches here. We have the Cornerstone Church that is a oneness church. And then we have the Madison Pentecostal Assembly which is a oneness church. But the bulk of the oneness people of this city attend right here at Calvary Gospel Church. Now, <clears throat> if you are here and you do not believe in the oneness 
certainly we are not here to throw sticks or stones uh, at anyone. My purpose of doing what I'm doing tonight is to just bring to your attention the beauty and the value of the name of Jesus Christ as you wear that name or carry that name. Now, <clears throat> no doubt about it, in the oneness movement, there's, there are also other uh, things that are stressed that are not stressed in most Pentecostal churches. Uh, we have a very clean standard of living, and our people are noticed uh, above all other Pentecostals in public places. They, they are, they're real standouts. People attend our, or come around where our general conference is being held. And they ask questions. And our people, even though they, they dress very modestly, they dress very stylishly also. And I've had people say, what kind of convention is going on here? Is this some kind of a, a fashion show or something? Just, why do you say that? Well, I've never seen so many ladies with, with their hair fixed up in such unique fashions in such a beautiful way. Thought it was some kind of a fashion show. You know, men always wear suits and ties and such to our conference. Of course, we don't teach that you, you have to wear a suit and a tie. But the Dan Anderson had a big question about that. He came and asked me, he said, do I have to wear a suit and a tie to church? And <clears throat> Brother Manley has a tie on. He made a statement the other day. He said, I believe that one of my ancestors was hung for being a horse thief, and that's the reason why I can't stand anything around my neck. <laughs> he said, I just can't stand <clears throat> There are a lot of accusations at this present time in the religious world pointed toward the oneness movement. Never before has the oneness movement come to the light or to the limelight as it presently is. There's just a lot of things being said. There's a lot of questions being asked. I personally believe, as I preach Sunday night, the fullness of time, I believe that this is one thing that the religious community will be faced with prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is making a decision relative to who Jesus is. Now please understand, if I, underst if I understand the Bible correctly, if I understand the Bible correctly, when you come to a knowledge or when you are faced with information to make the right decision relative to who Jesus is and you decide that Jesus is not who the Bible says, then this is an outright rejection of Jesus Christ, which at that point in time starts the decline away from God rather than an incline toward God. Now, <clears throat> you see, John, John connects his gospel 
that is, Jesus Christ, with God. When Matthew wrote his gospel, he connected Jesus Christ to Joseph, who was connected to David. Now, when Luke writes his gospel, he connects Jesus Christ through Mary, his mother, all the way back to Adam. So Matthew, it's believed by many scholars that the book of Matthew was written specifically for the Jews. And the book of Luke was written primarily to the Greeks. So when Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus, he goes all the way back to David and stops there. Luke, however, records the genealogy of Jesus through Mary all the way back to Adam. And in the book of Luke, you find that Jesus was constantly called the Son of Man. In the book of Matthew, he was called the Son of God. He was both the Son of Man and he was the Son of God. He was both, for he was the God-man with us. But see, the, the, the Grecians cared nothing, absolutely nothing about the Jews, or more specifically, David. But they were looking for the ideal man, and Jesus was portrayed in the book of Luke as the ideal man. But you see, when John writes his gospel, John doesn't connect Jesus to David, neither does he connect him to Adam, but he goes all the way back and connects him to God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Later on he says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So John connects Jesus Christ all the way back to God. And through the book of John, constantly references are made that connect Jesus Christ with God. Jesus even goes on to say in John the 8th chapter, verse 24, Except ye believe that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Let's just turn there. This is going to be uh, kind of a Bible study preaching session. John eight twenty four, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, Ye shall die in your sins. And if you notice the he is in italics, which means it did not appear in the original Greek. So it would read, for if you believe not that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Now, if you turn to John, uh, I say turn to John, if you look at the, the 58th verse, Jesus that's the same chapter, John eight fifty eight. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. It was at the burning bush in Exodus 3, verse 14, that God revealed himself to Moses as being the I am that I am, the Jehovah, the self-existing one. Now, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, 
ye shall die in your sins. Now verse 27, if you look, they understood not that he spake to them of the Father. See, they didn't understand what he was saying. But he was saying, except ye believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. Now, the death that he's talking about is in Revelation 21, 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now except ye believe that I am he, and we add the he there, it was not in the original text, but except you believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. So, <clears throat> you see, it's through his name that we do what? Receive life or everlasting life. Everlasting life. Now, the oneness people have been accused as being Jesus only. Now, I don't mind that at all if you first tell me what you mean when you say Jesus only. But if you mean what most people mean when they make that accusation, then I deny that. Now, let me explain. You see, when Jesus came and was among us, his name was Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, or they shall call his name Jesus, John, pardon me, Matthew one twenty one, and also Matthew one twenty five. They shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, if you say Jesus only, and that's what your accusation is, and you are making this reference that when Jesus was here, that there was more to Jesus than just the Son, then, then I would say that your accusation is all right. But if you say that Jesus was just a man that was here and he was a second person of a divine trinity, and so you're calling us Jesus only from that standpoint, then I deny that accusation. But the first uh, accusation that I mention here, let me just explain. You see, the word Jesus literally means Jehovah is salvation or has become salvation. So if when you call me Jesus only, you are making reference to the Jehovah of the Old Testament that became Jesus of the New. And so today when we pray, we pray to Jesus. You may say to Jesus only. Well, naturally there, there are references in the Bible that are where people prayed to Jesus and then they called him God and they called him Lord and called him Father. And In other words, if you fully understand that there was more to Jesus than flesh and bones, then 
then I'll go along with that accusation. I, th I think it's a, really a beautiful one. <laughs> you see, some accusations that are made toward Christians undeniably testify on their behalf. Really, they really do. You see, if you if you ever put in jail for being a Christian, you want to make sure there's enough evidence compiled against you to convict you. <clears throat> and, and it said, you see, Jesus said, that, now people don't really hate you. He said they really hate me. That's what he was saying, they really hate me. Now, <clears throat> the big question, you know, comes up, and this, this, this has come up, uh, you know, if we're Jesus only, then... My, what about uh, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? You know, we leave Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, our Father and Holy Ghost, rather, out of the picture. No, that's not true at all. Now, let me just explain something here. While most people who would accuse us of being Jesus only, they themselves do not believe that it is absolutely necessary to receive the Holy Ghost. I can name to you church after church after church after church that uses the term Pentecostal or the word Pentecostal in their promotion that do not believe that it is necessary to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, while they're saying Jesus only, they have to admit then they're not accepting all of their Godhead either. But while we are accused of Jesus only, another accusation following it is this, that we absolutely teach and preach that without receiving the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, as the Spirit gives the utterance, you're not saved. Now that's another accusation that goes along hand in hand with the Jesus only accusation. So I told a Pentecostal one time, I said, now, you know, really your accusation against us is contradictory. You're saying we're Jesus only, yet we are the only church in town that I know of that teaches that you must of necessity receive the third person of your trinity in order to be saved. And you don't even receive him yourself. See, it just so happens that we know what we're talking about when we talk about life through his name. Life through his name. Well, uh, if you turn with me to John, the first John, the second chapter, <clears throat> now there's some strong words in the Bible, and I read the Bible here, and I limit my comments. I don't want anybody to think that that uh, it's impossible for me to make a mistake in interpretation. We'll let the Bible talk. John two twenty two. 
Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Now, Jesus the Christ means the anointed one. He was the one that the Jews were looking for that was to come to be their Messiah. Now, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. So if a person denies the Son, he does not have the Father. Now notice this is all in italics, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Now basically, if you notice what the Scripture is saying here, the Scripture is not saying that if you believe in the Father, you have the Son also. It doesn't say that, does it? No, it doesn't say that because, see, that was a thing of the Jews. See, they believed in Jehovah God with them, but they picked up stones to kill Jesus because he, being a man, maketh himself God. And Paul, who was struck blind on the road to Damascus, he was a man who worshipped God. And you will find in the Old Testament, or the New Testament, there are people who worship God as the Jehovah of the Old Testament that later on were converted to Christianity. Cornelius was one. The disciples of John the Baptist in Acts the 19th chapter. So the scripture does not say, Whosoever hath the Father hath the Son also. It doesn't say that. But it just simply means that if you have the Son you automatically have the Father. So there's no problem there. If you have the Son, you automatically have the Father. Because there's only one way that you can get to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Because He has become salvation. Salvation is Jesus Christ. And the only way that you can be saved or the only way that you can have an acquaintance with the Spirit is to have Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, let's look in the Old Testament to Zechariah, the 14th chapter, verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. Now, <clears throat> this is talking about the glory of the Lord that returns after the battle of Armageddon. Uh, basically, it's talking about the, the dispensation to follow this dispensation, and that is the millennium. When the millennium is set up, Jesus Christ will be Lord over the entire earth, and his name shall be one. His name shall be one. The Bible makes it very plain in the book of Galatians, in the book of Colossians, in the book of Ephesians, that Jesus Christ came to us to bring to us a mystery that was held secret from the beginning of time. The Jews in the Old Testament questioned this business about the name of God. There is no doubt about it. You could go through chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter of Old Testament prophecy, also types and shadows and such, and then historical events where people were questing for the name 
of God. And God revealed himself as Lord. And then there are compound names in the Old Testament. And the purpose of the compound names were to describe something about that Lord. So Jehovah, Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Elohim, all told something about the position of God as he relates to man. But when Jesus came upon the scene, Jesus was Jehovah, the Old Testament God, coming to us in physical human form to redeem us. For Jehovah is salvation. And salvation came through Jesus Christ. See, in John 1, I believe verse 17, the Bible says, The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ came and brought to us salvation. When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, when Jesus Christ was buried, and when he arose, that constitutes the gospel, which means good news. It's called good news, or God's spell, or gospel, because we now have a message of redemption for man. See, we are saved by that gospel, according to Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15. He spells out what the gospel is. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Jesus Christ died upon the cross. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ arose again. That death, burial, and resurrection is more than just an Easter story. It's more than just something that you, that, that you relate and, and, and tell about and, and let it go. But it is an actual encounter or experience that you can have. Because he died upon the cross your body of sins can be nailed to that cross. Paul explains that in Romans 6, that the old body of sin was nailed to his cross. Also in Colossians, the second chapter, the Bible speaks of us being nailed to his cross, and then it speaks of the, the circumcision. Let's turn to uh, Colossians 2. This is, this is such a beautiful message, and I, uh, quite frankly, I, I can't understand, uh, and I have no sarcasm when I say this, I can't understand why people who read the New Testament can't, can't find this. Colossians 2 verse 8, the Bible says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ." Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all trespasses. 
Now, spiritual circumcision, you know, the Old Testament law after the days of Abraham, all the dispensations there demanded circumcision. Circumcision was an everlasting covenant that God had with Abraham, and circumcision is a covenant that God has with his people today. But you will find in the New Testament, it was not a physical circumcision, but it is a spiritual circumcision. And circumcision, according to this, takes place in baptism. Does it not? Now, let's just read it carefully, and then we'll look at another passage of Scripture. Verse 11, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now, let's just turn to Romans, the sixth chapter. Now, we'll refer back to this in just a second. So, you can just keep your place there also. Romans, the sixth chapter. Verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall also... We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sins, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Now you see, what happened was that, that Jesus Christ, going back to verse 3, Jesus Christ died he was then buried, and he arose again. Verse 3, 4. Now, we then acquaint ourselves with the gospel, not by just memorizing what it is, but by obedience to it. He died so that we can die. See, Peter on the day of Pentecost preached. When they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He preached, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ arose again so that you can repent, so that you can be baptized. And that baptism is the circumcision of the heart. This is when the old body of sin is carved out and destroyed and cast into hell. And then we rise to newness of life. In Luke, the 24th chapter, when the Great Commission was given there, uh, Luke said that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. So in Colossians, 
the Bible tells us that he was blotting out all the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Now, the blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances that were against us. See, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. There are many, many uh, scriptures that uh, relate to the behavior of man. Man, by nature, is a transgressor. And sin is the transgression of the law of God. So the soul that sinneth shall surely die. That was the commandment given to Adam and Eve in the garden. How many people have sinned since that time? All have sinned, Paul says, and come short of the glory of God. For we are all sinners. So the whole world, Paul says in Romans 3, stands guilty before God. And we will remain guilty, condemned to die. Jesus came not to condemn us, John 3, for we were condemned already. And so we all stand facing the hard condemnation of God on the judgment day. But when we see what Jesus Christ did for us, our faith then is manifest in him. And in that he died, we make a trip back in time to that place where our mind goes to the spot, the very spot where he died upon the cross. And in remembrance of his death, we ask, God, forgive me. This is when our old man is nailed to the cross with the Lord Jesus Christ. They took his lifeless body and placed it in a tomb. And so we are then buried with him in baptism. Galatians 3.27, we wear our Christ or we put on Christ in baptism. This is when we take on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts the 22nd chapter, verse 16 Ananias instructed Paul, now this was Paul's testimony, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now that's what the King James Version says. Now, several versions of the new, uh, several of the English versions that have come along since the King James Version, this is what they say, calling the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Calling his name in baptism. Washing away sins. Calling his name in baptism. And so God's blood goes down inside the heart and carves away that old body of sin that will destroy us. And so circumcision is in effect today. It's just not a physical circumcision. But it is an everlasting covenant that God made with Abraham, and it's in effect today. We are circumcised with the circumcision not made with hands. In the putting off of the old body of sin. And they call his name in baptism, and this is when we take on the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. God. Now, Zechariah says concerning that great day uh, or that great dispensation of the millennium that in that day his name shall be one. Now Ephesians the fourth chapter and we go into a lot of these scriptures quite often on Sunday morning but uh, we do have a good number of people who have recently given their heart to the Lord and this is something that you really do want to take note of. This is so very important. Ephesians 4 verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, 
even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now when you receive the Holy Ghost, what do you actually receive? You receive the Spirit. Can you really say that, that Jesus Christ enters into your heart at that time? Sure he does, but not in spiritual form. Uh, not in physical form, pardon me, but in spiritual form. Not in physical form. He doesn't walk in there in body, does he? No, he doesn't. But you see, Paul comes along and he talks about the Father in you. Now, if you have the Holy Ghost inside of you, which is a spirit. Ghost means spirit, or Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost. And you have Jesus Christ in spiritual form. And you have the Father in spiritual form. How many spirits do you have? You have three if they're separate. Uh, but if you're making reference to the same thing, then you only have one. And so there's only one spirit according to verse 4. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But it was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary. Now I actually heard a Trinitarian preacher say that the Father used artificial insemination and it was the Holy Ghost that carried the seed of the Father to the womb of Mary. Well that's a, quite a stretch of the imagination. Now, in view of all other scriptures. Really. Now that, that is really straining to get an answer as to who Jesus Christ was born of. But see, there's only one spirit. So when we receive the Holy Ghost, what do we receive? We receive God. Jesus Christ. The great I Am of the Old Testament. The reigning Savior of the millennium. The, the Spirit of the everlasting God. There's only one Spirit. Now the Bible makes that very, very plain. Jesus was with us. He said, I will be in you. He spoke of baptizing them with the Holy Ghost and fire. He said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the Spirit that they should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now when Jesus was here... He didn't pour out the Holy Ghost, did he? No, he didn't pour out the Holy Ghost. But he spoke of the Holy Ghost. He spoke of the birth of the Spirit. In John, the third chapter, let's just go there. And We recently talked about this on Sunday morning. A lot of our teachers were out. Of course, a lot of them are absent this morning, this evening, too. <clears throat> John the third chapter, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, and he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born 
Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit, marvel not, that I said unto ye, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Now he talks about the spiritual birth. Is that being born of the Holy Ghost or is that being born of the Father? Well, it's just being born of God. God's a Spirit. See? But who is God? God has manifested himself as Father in creation, Son in redemption, and Holy Ghost in regeneration. So when you're born of the Spirit, you're born of the Father, you're born of Jesus Christ, you're born of the Holy Ghost because they're all the same. Now if you don't interpret the Godhead like that, when you start reading the New Testament, you run into major contradictions. You run into some real contradictions. I'm in some real contradictions. You'll get so mixed up that you won't even know what to think. So you have to accept the Godhead like you accept evolution. You know, the missing link. Really. Now, <clears throat> they were born of the Spirit, or Jesus spoke of being born of the Spirit. Now, they could not be born of the Spirit this time. In chapter 7, verse 37, on that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the Spirit, that they should receive which believe on him. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So, they could not be born of the Spirit at the time in which Jesus talked to Nicodemus. Now, he also talks, though, about a water birth. Now, what is the water birth? Well, a lot of people interpret this to be the fleshly birth. They say, well, this is the fleshly birth. When you're born of your mother, you're born of water. And then, of course, he speaks of being born of the Spirit. Now, that would be a real intelligent uh, explanation if you did not have other scriptures in the Bible that speak otherwise. Now, let me just explain something right here. When Jesus gave this to Nicodemus, he could not pour out the Holy Ghost upon them because he had not yet been glorified. The Holy Ghost was not poured out until the day of Pentecost in Acts the second chapter, after Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens. He tells Nicodemus, however, what he should do to be born of the water and the Spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, 
Life comes through what? His name. Now the word believeth here comes from the Greek word which means to trust and obey. It's not a figment of the imagination. In Acts the 5th chapter verse 32 and Hebrews the 5th chapter verse 9 the Bible says the Holy Ghost was given to them that obey. Acts of the word obey comes from the very word, same word that believeth comes from in Acts or in John 3.16. Now let me point out something here though. As soon as Jesus spoke of the water birth and the spiritual birth, birth of the water and the spirit, he told Nicodemus how to receive that. You must trust and obey or believe in God. Immediately after that, you'll find that Jesus did something. In verse 22, after these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. Now Jesus only baptized his apostles or his disciples that were with him. I heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. See, Jesus only baptized his disciples, nobody else. Now the reason why that Jesus baptized his disciples if you go all the way back to Exodus, the 40th chapter, verse 12, and it isn't necessary if you turn back there, but if you're keeping notes, you want to write this down. Exodus 40, 12, before the Old Testament law was put into effect, Moses, the giver of the Old Testament law, and Jesus Christ was a prophet like unto Moses, the giver of the New Testament law. In Acts the third chapter, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was a prophet like unto Moses. Moses was the Old Testament law giver. He took Aaron and his sons, who were the tribe of Levi, to the brazen labor, and he washed them or cleansed them, which was symbolical of baptism. Now that simply means that before then, the law went into effect, God had the priesthood ready to minister that law. When the apostles then gathered in the upper room, along with the 120, and the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost, and they spake with tongues and magnified God, when all the people around came to them, Peter then preached on that day who Jesus Christ was. He summarized it by saying, That same Jesus whom you have crucified, God hath raised him up, and he hath become both Lord and Christ. In other words, he's the Lord of the Old Testament, and he's the Messiah, or the Christ of the New. Now when they were heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, they came to Peter and the rest of the apostles and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent. Had Peter repented? Sure he had. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Had Peter been baptized already? By Jesus Christ himself, the giver of the law. And receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Had Peter received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Sure he had. So you see, God had ordained men ready 
to preach the gospel and to do the baptizing when the church was born. Now Jesus, it seems strange to me that if Jesus was talking about a fleshly birth, a water birth as a fleshly birth, and he was not talking about baptism, it seems strange to me that he took them straight away and baptized them right after that. But that's what he did. Of course, <clears throat> the apostles believed very strongly in baptism. It was not a believer's type baptism. When I say believer's type baptism, I'm talking about, you know, once you believe, you should baptize or get baptized as a symbol or as a sign of his burial, but doesn't make any difference when because it's not pertaining or not relative to or it's not imperative to salvation. The Philippian jailer took and washed Paul's stripes so that Paul would have enough strength to go and baptize him. Peter, when he preached to Cornelius, and while he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them. After Peter had seen that they had received the Holy Ghost, which was the light gift that they had received on the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us that Peter said, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now going back to John 3, a birth of the Spirit. What is a birth of the Spirit? What is the Spirit? Who is the Spirit? It's God. Who is God? He was Father in creation. He dwelt inside of Jesus Christ on the planet Earth here to bring salvation to us. And Jesus Christ promised, Lo, I am with you all the way, even to the end of the world. Is Jesus Christ here tonight? How do you know? I haven't seen him. He's here in spiritual form. You can't see him. He said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. And the Holy Ghost was the spirit of the holy departed Jesus. And he came back to visit. Let me, let me point out something too that I think is very, very important. Did you know that most denominal churches do not believe in the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ called the rapture? They say that when the Bible speaks of his return, that they, he, it was making reference to Acts, the second chapter. That was the return of the Lord. So the Lord has already come. How many of you heard that? I'm sure many of you have heard it. The funny thing about it is that they don't even believe the Holy Ghost that came back was Jesus Christ. They think the Holy Ghost was the third person of the Trinity. Praise God. Now, <clears throat> let's go to John 5, verse 43. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him 
you will receive. Now see, Mary and Joseph did not name Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord came and gave them that name. How did he get that name? <clears throat> he got it from his father. What do you mean he got it from his father? Turn to Hebrews, the first chapter. Who being the brightness of his glory, Hebrews 1, 3. And the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, set down on the right hand of the majesty on high being made so much better than the angels as, now here's, here's how he was made much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So how did Jesus get his name? He inherited Where did, I, where did I get the name Grants? That's just something somebody made up. Oh, that happens to be my father's name, see. I got my name by inheritance. And the reason why that his name was called Jesus because he was Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, becoming salvation for us. Acts 4 and 12, the Bible says... That there is salvation in none other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Philippians, the second chapter. Verse 9 and 10. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Now, if in the event the names of God in the Old Testament had no earthly bearing or spiritual connection with Jesus Christ, God carried an inferior name in the Old Testament. But Jesus Christ was given a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So in the Old Testament you have one Lord. His name is one. The millennium. God will. God's name is singular. Only one. 
And here every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise God. Now, question comes up a lot of times. Well, what about this business of sometimes it makes reference of Jesus Christ being the Son of God and of God the Father? There's no question. None of us ever want to reach a place in which we cannot use Bible language or heaven's language. Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God. Was he not? That simply means he was the flesh of God. But at the same time in which he was the flesh of God, he was also the God-man. He was man, but he also spoke as God. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of my Father which sent me for my words are spirit, and they are life. So Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But there was more to Jesus Christ than just a fleshly robe. For inside of him dwelt the identity, or God, himself. Jesus said, ye destroy this body in three days. I will raise it up again. I can prove to you in the New Testament that God raised up Jesus, and I can also prove to you that the Holy Ghost raised up Jesus. But Jesus said, I'm going to do it. How did they do it? <clears throat> well, the true identity of Jesus was God the Father. And there are times in which the Bible speaks of, of God and the importance of the sacrifice and the Son of God and the fleshly form that came to redeem us. There are also other times in which the Spirit, which was the Almighty, was spoken of, which is very important. Extremely important. Colossians 3, 17. Did we read that already? No, we haven't. Somebody said we didn't. Actually, I just have a lot of scriptures written down here, and we're going to be closing here. Colossians 3, 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. See, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Mediatorship comes through sonship. But you see, it's not that Jesus Christ makes intercession to another God on a foreign planet someplace. When you come to Jesus, you automatically come to the Father. You just automatically come to the Father. So you don't have to go and plead your case to Jesus Christ so that he can plead the case to the Father from the standpoint of here's one God praying to another God. It's not that at all. It's when you go to Jesus, you automatically go to the Father. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Revelation 2.17 and Revelation 22.4 and we will be closing. <clears throat> <clears throat> Revelation 
remember Revelation 2.17, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and a white, and in the white stone a new name written, that no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. <clears throat> now, let's turn to Revelation 22.4. Revelation 22.4. I guess we should back up and let's read verse 1 through 4. And would you stand with me at this time? And he showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there a tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads you know, when we get to heaven, the book of Revelation makes it very plain that you're going to see Jesus Christ there. And there's going to be one on the throne, and it's going to be Jesus. Now, I know that, that it becomes very confusing, some of the language of the Bible, to some people, it becomes very confusing. It speaks of Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. Now, Somebody said, well, it also speaks of him being on the right hand of God. Now, if you study Jewish literature, you know that that is a phrase which means that Jesus Christ was the right hand of God or he was the power or the authority of God. See, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen: all power or authority in heaven and earth is given unto him. So when Jesus Christ ascended and sat on the throne, a spirit hath not flesh and bones. Where is that spirit? That spirit is everywhere. You can't go any place where that spirit is not. He's everywhere. So when Jesus Christ went and sat down on the throne, he wasn't sitting in the Father's lap. Because you see, there's no... There's the spirit hath not flesh and bones, see. So when Jesus goes and occupies the throne, see, when Jesus Christ was born, he was God with us. That fleshly body was the body that Almighty God lived in. And when it ascended, it ascended on high. And sat down on the throne. So in the book of Revelation, when it speaks of one on the throne, and it speaks of his name being Jesus, it speaks of the Lamb. The Lamb is making reference to the flesh of God. And so he sits down on the throne. Now his servants who come to him, which will be you and I, his name will be written in our foreheads. 
Now somebody said, does that really mean that they write it in there? I'm not for sure if that's symbolic or what, but I'll tell you one thing. I've got him on my mind. Day and night. Praise God. You see, nobody ever did for me what Jesus did. For Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and Jesus arose. <clears throat> Let's sing his name is wonderful. Praise God.